This is a Brain Tools Tools episode, a 20-minute cutback version of our full podcast where you walk away with six practical brain tools you can use to hack your brain and level up today. If you want more of the neuroscience and research behind the tools, you can find the full version of this episode on Spotify, iTunes, and at the link below. But for now, it's time to get your six brain tools. All right, and now we're going to wrap up with the brain tools, everyone's favorite section, the most practical section, and the part I get the most questions about with people trying them. I always love hearing uh, people using them and coming back and saying, hey, it actually worked, and me saying yes. Best feeling yeah. ever. Best feeling ever. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. Um, and I had some. we've had some really great feedback about that. So if you, you try some brain tools and you like them, let us know. It's amazing. But before we do get into the brain tools, I need to let – you know about this, Kieran. I need to let you know that a few years ago, they ran a meta-analysis of thousands of people, over 20,000 people, to find out what correlated most with happiness. Okay. Well, first, meta-analysis, really like it. We like meta-analyses here. Second- We do. What happened? What's in this? What are the factors? So they they came up with five factors. Do you want to have a stab- do you have a stab at what the top five factors were? Uh, yeah. Now, this is the first time you've quizzed me in like 11 episodes. So it's been now, a while. Now, yeah, it's now, it's like, now it's like turning on me. Okay. So I would say exercise has got to be one. Well, yeah, it has to be. Um, I would say sleep. Always. Uh, I think we've spoken a lot about social interactions. So I'd say like your relationships and friendships and stuff. Bang. Um, I don't know the last two. Uh like having pur- like purpose, like your work, like your relationship with your work? In, in a way, in a way. I'll give you that one. Um, and I don't know, like something like giving back to your community or something, like giving back. Yeah. All right. You did pretty close. You did pretty well. So we're going to go in reverse order for the five because you actually, you're four out of five. Number five correlated was exercise. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> Number four, volunteering, as you call it ah, out. We're going to get to that later in a bit. That's good. Yes. Well, actually, you got all five because number three was spirituality or religion or belief. Belief, very, very, very good. I like it. Victor Frankl. Very makes sense. Victor, huh? <laughs> Search for some meaning, man. Search for some meaning. Uh, number two was social interaction. And, of course, number one was sleep. So number one correlate with happiness was quality of sleep, which is just crazy. It's amazing. crazy. None of these five surprise crazy. me. And us. They don't like, surprise we, me. We've spoken about this ad nauseum. It's like, well, let's, let's uh, reduce the brain tools podcast. Yeah. Do these five things. <laughs> yeah, do these five things and you'll be much better for it. So yeah, none of them really surprise us. But if you want to go uh, and find some brain tools on some of those, sleep was our first episode and well-being was our third, I believe. Uh, so we've got some there. Really, really, really fascinating that those things come up. Um, and before you try any brain tools, maybe try getting those right first. But when it comes to brain tools uh, around uh, positive emotions, yes. we've really got to address the adal- elephant in the room. And, an and that is this. There is an elephant. Uh, it's an elephant in your brain, uh-huh. little elephant yeah. in your brain, little guy, that you can actually rewire yourself for unhappiness, for happiness, just as you can wire yourself for unhappiness because of your neuroplasticity, because of Hebb's law, neurons that wire together, fire together. Um, you are able to rewire your brain to be, happier and have a, a happier baseline uh, over time. And there's been plenty of studies that have proven this as well as lots of nascent research coming up in this space showing people doing certain activities and exercises that we'll talk about uh, that improve their baseline levels of happiness over time by rewiring their brain 
and generating the right kind of connections that teach you to look out for the the environmental cues that make you happier or create those associations. I love that. It's a very, very interesting. It's a very interesting frame because I'm thinking Naval right now and you know how much we love Naval, yeah. but it's, it's like, like, we about learning. It's like all the resources to learn are there, but the motivation to learn is scarce. And I think that's a classic case mm. of rewiring your brain as well as we get into these. Oh, well, absolutely right. It's the, we have the power, basically. I'm, this is what I wanted to say is you have the power to change your brain. You have the power to be happier for most people unless you do have uh, dysfunction in your brain um, and you, you do uh, experience some, some negative emotions as a result of that. We might not be able to change that, but for most people, your brain's are pretty plastic. I thought you were about to go Tony Robbins. I thought you were about to go Tony no, Robbins. I, I, mean, I thought you were, but you I would you not know, do that. I will not do that. I like it. I'm not even mention that man's name in neuroscience conversations ever. Is discrediting the entire field in some ways. Right to one. Um, Pumped. Right to one. Right to one. And this comes from Lisa Feldman Bart, her amazing book called How Emotions Are Made, and she was the one who's pioneered this constructionist theory of emotions. And her, her brain tool is uh, do a body budget. Do a body budget. Oh. And the idea is, right, you take uh, a tally of everything your body needs, like we spoke about before, nutrients, sleep, exercise, social interaction, spending time with friends, being outside. You do all these things that are a kind of a surplus for your body. They're like deposits into your, your body and your positive emotions. And you have a look at how many you're doing. And maybe you do a bit of a count and realize, hang on, I'm actually not spending enough time with other people or I'm not exercising enough. And you do a bit of a budget, you, you, you weigh it up and you have a look, are you a deficit or a surplus? And the idea is that if you get all everything right and if you're in a body budget that isn't a surplus, you're doing all the right things for you, you're much more likely to be experiencing positive emotions because your body is getting what it needs. Those inputs we talked about, both external and internal. So the action is this, sit down, Write out everything you're currently putting into your body from an emotional input perspective, um, like we just referred before, sleep, exercise, social interactions, volunteering, um, hobbies, anything that is rewarding and enriching to you and also keeps you healthy. And then have a look at anything that you might be missing and seeing what your body budget is like. And that is brain tool number one. I think that appeals massively to all the corporates listening in. You know, people always say your body's uh, a devil. No, your body's a bank. <laughs> your body's a bank, yeah. <laughs> got to check the right currency in, apparently. <laughs> I thought you would have liked that, a bit of P&L. Oh, got to love a profit and loss statement, hey, which uh, <laughs> will come into brain num- tool number two, which actually really dovetails quite nicely. So if you get all those things yeah. right, all these activities and inputs, my brain tool number two is actually to note your positive emotions. And this is a principle for mindfulness known as noting. But what I would posit, Sam, is that too often we can get very consumed by both negative and positive emotion that we experience, that we don't actually reflect upon the drivers of the what is actually causing that. So we don't have a cause and effect relationship between what we do and how it makes us feel, particularly in the positive realm. Um, and there's a book by a dude called Paul Dolan, who's actually a behavioral um, economist, uh, basically one of the mentees of uh, Daniel uh, Kahneman from Think Fasting Slow. And he has a book by called Happiness by Design. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and he basically quotes in there that he says, change what you do, not how you think. You are what you do. Your happiness is what you attend to. And you should attend to what makes you and those whom you care about happy. And I think that that hits you right in the face, right? Say, hey, what are the things that are leading to your happiness? So what I would say is Mm -hmm. if you, like the next time you are feeling 
like joy, you're feeling happiness, right? Um, and that is obviously a emo- positive emotion underneath the feelings, as you said before. Take note of this and maybe even journal down these things. I did this the other day and I'll talk about it in a little bit, but like where did you feel the emotion in your body? Like where is the sort of psychosomatic tendency? What were you doing when you felt that emotion? What was the specific activity? Were you at work? Were you with your friends? Um, how long did the emotion actually persist? For example, was it a long one or was it something very, very acute? Um, and I think the last two questions that I put in there as a frame is how pleasurable was the activity, you know, scale of one to seven, and how meaningful was the activity? And the reason I bring that as a frame as we sort of move forward is you can categorize activities you do in terms of the pleasure it gives you and the purpose it gives you. And so Seneca's point of the unexamined life is a life not worth living becomes a really, really salient. Um, and, you know, if I watch a movie, example, that's a highly pleasurable thing but it's not very high in purpose, but it still contributes to my overall happiness. But say I'm at work and I'm starting a startup. Um, For example, I'm feeling a ton of purpose. It is not fun sometimes, but it's still contributing to my overall happiness. And so this is a form of mindfulness that anyone can do to take note of those things. The more you take note, the more awareness you have, the more awareness have, the more likely to regulate based on that fact. So Sam, note your positive emotions. Yeah, yeah, super interesting stuff there. And I really like the idea of noting your emotions and and doting on them and touching on that idea of uh, hedonia and eudaimonia there too as well. Great inclusion. What I was wondering is, have you heard of the Saving Emotions study? I have not, but you've already taken me. What is this study? It's a very, very recent piece of neuroscience where they had a look at people who spent time uh, kind of relishing and savoring in a positive emotion. They used the sunset and various other pictorials to help induce feeling good. And what they found was people who got better at savoring and living in that moment and noting that emotion had higher activation in their ventral striatum uh, and over time got better at activating the ventral striatum. So they had like longer, more stable positive emotions as a result. That's, it's so interesting because we, you know, we, we're talking at the moment about probably like the, um, you know, how much emotion you feel, but how much is a function of frequency mm. and intensity, right? And so that becomes over time, how much emotion you feel. So I, I really like that, which actually lends itself quite nicely to brain tool number three, which I'm just going to break up the order today, Sam, if I can. Um, Go but on. I wanted to what take that frame, as you said before, of the sort of hedonia, eudaimonia of pleasure on of purpose and actually look at brain tool number three, which is listen to music. Now, this is uh, probably coming from left field, but there's been a lot of research done in terms of music psychology mm. is a field um, of study. And some people are actually really dubious about it. Let's be frank. It's, people are very dubious about this. However, this is an activity in terms of you know, listening to music that is much higher in pleasure than it is purpose, right? Playing music would change the purpose-pleasure pendulum. But um, there's a quote here in, the, um, in a study done by Heinemann et al. And it basically says, making and enjoying music is an essential component of human cultures across the globe. And it has likely been for thousands of years. The first instruments, the first mm-hmm. flutes made of mammoth, ivory, and bird bone, they're thought to be 42,000 years old. So it is such a core part of human civilization it has to, not it has to play a role, but the role should be explored in that plays in terms of its impact on how we are. Now, Sam, study. You ready? I love studies. Study to back this one up is there are a bunch of fMRI studies that actually suggest that familiar songs may be really good at activating our brain's reward pathways. That ventral striatum we talked about being very, very important. Mm. One particular study actually found that people had more activation in the reward circuitry when they listened to familiar songs versus unfamiliar songs, suggesting that those songs that are familiar to us in the same way people who are familiar to us um, actually is crucial for emotional engagement. And I can say this right now to anyone, which is 
tell me a song that sums up your school experience as an example. And for me, right, it was a familiar song, getting nostalgic. Every year, tw- a year 12, final year of school, at every 18th birthday, us Trinity boys were so, we, we were so lame. But at the end, we would actually put on the song Little Lion Man, um, my mumfords and sons, and we would just have a massive dance off for three, four minutes. And every time I play that song, it takes me back to those memories. Um, mm. And, you know, that's a very, very clear part of familiar songs bringing you back to times when you were happy becomes really uh, useful as a tool. Now, don't get bogged down in it all the way and just wish that you were in your past. That's a very, very, very dangerous thing. Um, but I just wanted to put that forward. Familiar songs can increase uh, your happiness from a pleasure standpoint um, immediately. That is amazing. Uh, I love that. And I've felt that as well. You, you know, when you listen to one of those songs that takes you back to a moment in time and you like, you smile, you physically smile yeah, absolutely. because you're, you're a reward. And the crazy thing is, and they did some research around this with music uh, and older people and nostalgia Ooh. was when they listened to songs that brought them back in time, that transported them. It activated the reward circuitry like you were speak, speaking about but then also help keep their brains healthier by reactivating these old memory pathways and eliciting or the release of all these positive uh, neuroprotective neurotransmitters. So keeps your brain healthy too. I love that. And my only final note on this is just to note the breakup song on the flip side, which is everyone's got, <laughs> everyone's got their breakup song. I tell you, the amount of times I've played in certain relationships, Harry Styles' Sign of the Times of recent, he's not, oh, not a good thing. But what I would you should say- should not be admitting that in public. <laughs> I, I, I think open book right now. But when it comes to those breakups just as a thing, it's very important not to go down the spiral of songs that make you feel negative emotion. Mm. It's very easy to go into secondhand serenade and the emo music, go get your happy playlist and put that on. You're more likely to feel a lot better as well as my final one. That's really good. And and it's something we're going to talk about next week. It will be that concept of depressive rumination uh, and the spirals as my friend likes to talk about. But that wraps us up. For this section, so stick around for our last three brain tools. They're going to be uh, some good ones in there. Sounds good. All right, and now on to the last section. The last three brain tools are for positive emotions, and we've got some really good ones. I'm going to kick it off, get straight into it. Brain tool number four, behavioral activation therapy which is a big wanky word for do more stuff (laughs) effectively it means do more stuff what a a term i know what a term for it um it's so silly there's basically a plethora of research out there uh and this has been found to be a really successful treatment for long-term depression Mm. because basically doing more things leads to more experiences that can contribute to happiness as as well as, you know, increasing activation um, of your social networks, increasing the movement. Basically, the more things you do, the more chances you're giving yourself to have experiences that contribute to, to be happy. Uh, and so, like I said, this approach has been shown to alter the activity in the emotional regulation, motivation, and habit circuitry in the brain, uh, namely the medial prefrontal cortex, orbi- orbitofrontal cortex, dorsal striatum, uh, respectively. It's a research from Dicta et al. 2009. And it works best, uh, as we talked about before, with socially or intrinsically rewarding based things. So uh, things that make you feel good or things that allow you to be around people. Um, Richard just studied the, studied the happiest people around the world and what they found, 
as we noted before, was that strong relationships was one of the, the highest correlations. So a bit of personal experience. This is actually how I broke my own depression, which we've never really broached before in this podcast. We have not, mate. Uh, we how, have not. Can I ask, how did you go about uh, doing that? Yeah, so I, I slipped into uh, a massive funk, so to speak, but it was a period of depression. Uh, would have been second year university. I got glandular fever. I had another fever like glandular at the same time. It messed with my endocrine system, my testosterone, uh, and then combined with some nihilistic thoughts, I got uh, I got into a pretty dark place. Mm. Uh, end up seeing a psychologist for a little bit, and one of his recommendations was just like, go do some stuff, go for a swim, go move, go outside, go see something new. And I thought it was it sounded really silly personally, but the more I started doing this alongside some some other uh, activities and exercises and vulnerability, the more I just started to feel coming back into myself, and. What I noticed personally is that the more things you do, the, the less time you give yourself to feel negative emotions and the more t- opportunities you give yourself to have these amazing experiences which makes you smile. Yeah, man, that's massive. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I know we've obviously spoken off the air a bit about yes. this in the past, but I think it's obviously, as you said, sharing moments of vulnerability that are massive. I was going to ask if I can, which is, do you, yes. can you remember like one of the activities or one of the first activities where you start yeah. to feel more positive emotion? The, the big one was, and this was a direct uh, recommendation from Graham, my psychologist at the time, was go swimming. So I started going swimming and doing laps once a week. And the exercise and the breathing and the fact that I was just going and doing something yeah. made me feel amazing. Uh, and it also helped that I got a friend or two involved. Um, so that was really cool. So, yeah, the, the action really is to have more positive emotions, do more things, and do more things that are rewarding to you or that allow you to be around people. And that's brain tool number four. Mate, that's massive. I think that's uh, a huge one because to piggyback off you, of what you're saying, anytime I feel really mm. down, um, and I, I'll be honest, I don't think I've experienced depression before, but I've definitely had days when I've, when I've been sad, is learning something new. So yeah. I, when I, whenever I feel like I'm down, I'll go learn something new and I'm like, wow, the world is such an amazing place. I think we can get so bogged down mm. in our minds that we don't realize like right now, you and I are having this conversation. What's going on in our brains to have this conversation is nuts. We're now on podcast uh, software that was created by humans. And the more like you can appreciate those little things of how bloody cool we are, you sort of just sit there and be like, wow, the world's actually pretty cool. Those little moments of gratitude, um, they make a big difference. They make a really big difference. And it's really about doing things that are meaningful to you, right? Spot on. And I think that leads leads really nicely into brain tool number five, as you said, um, in the five factors, which I didn't realize before, but um, brain tool number five is volunteer for a cause that you care about. Now, like when you like take again the pleasure purpose pendulum, um, you would say, arguably based on the research, that this is of a higher purpose activity than mm-hmm. pleasure activity. I'm not saying you can't derive pleasure from it, but let's be frank: some of the volunteering that people do, you see some pretty dark things, and it can make you feel some mm-hmm. negative emotion. But there is a neural basis of the of, of what we call the helper's high. Have you had that before? The helper's high. I, I have. So I've done my share of volunteering my time and I've definitely had those moments. I volunteer for Camp Quality where we uh, uh, volunteer our time with kids who have killed her or the, uh, have have cancer and gone through therapy or the bereaved siblings. And you have that 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 uh, helpers high always at the end of camp and then you have a helpers crash. 
Yeah, it's a very, very, again, when you remove that stimuli. And what's very interesting with this helper's high on that note is that people who do behave generously, giving their time back to the community, it actually involves very interestingly the same brain areas that are involved in other inherently rewarding behaviors, such as eating and sex, right? And we talked well, about the idea that it's not a, it's a more purpose driven thing, but there's very clearly yeah. um, an intersection between that pleasure and purpose uh, in the activation in the brain, which I think is. It's actually fascinating. That, that's that's crazy. And it, well, it ties back into where, you know, positive emotions come from. Yeah, absolutely. They come from it's that reward circuit. Goal-directed behavior. And there was a study that um, completely validated, And but the, there was a very surprising part of this study, but it was published May 19, 2016 by the British Medical Journal, and it found that the volunteering benefit was actually strongest among people aged 45 to 80. So very, very interestingly that in the older population that it was even more salient. And there's a bunch of hypotheses around this. I'm not going to go into them. But when we talked about that aging episode, uh, if you do remember, that was a very distinct thing that giving back, but if the older generation do so, that uh, that becomes very, very big for them. Um, The one thing I just want to note here, uh, and we're going to get a little bit of, got a a little bit of behavioral uh, science in this, is we just want to be very mindful with some of these things um, of reverse causality and selection bias. And the reason I say Mm. that with volunteering, as an example, is you know, we say volunteering can cause or is correlated with happiness, but in reality, you could have the reverse causality, which is happier people are more likely to volunteer. And so the reality is you probably need a little bit of baseline happiness in order to be more likely to volunteer. But again, it doesn't discredit the notion that volunteering can be correlated um, with that. That's that's such a great point. I think really refers back to uh, the, those inputs being external and external. So, you know, like you've, you've got a happier person who volunteers, then they're going to have a higher level of happiness as well because there are other inputs that are contributing to it. Absolutely. So the action set here um, for anyone really is to pick a cause that you care about. It can be anything, uh, anything at all. Mm. Um, for example, uh, my girlfriend, wow, I said that the first time, uh, but my girlfriend, uh, <laughs> wow, big moves, big moves. My, girl, my girlfriend uh, is actually volunteers um, with a lot of the elderly, elderly people in Singapore and we have conversations about it a lot. And when she comes back from it, you can see that there is such like this, I know this sounds like a very, uh, we would say, but beaming purpose. It's like you see she's done something mm. that she really cares about that um, makes her appreciate her own circumstance as well. Um, you can volunteer even if it's remotely or over Zoom. Um, and it's not a selfish thing to do it. I, I, I push back when people say it's selfish to take care of your happiness because in reality, if you're not taking care of your own happiness, then how on earth can you make other people happy? It's like the classic, if you want to change the world, change yourself. Um, and so, yeah, looking after your fellow humans, uh, given we're also interconnected, uh, starts with looking after yourself. So volunteer for a cause that you care about. Brain tool number five. That's a great one. That's a great one, especially if it's pro-social too uh, because whether or not we like it, everything we do is about being around other people. As Dean Burnett says, it's like the one of the biggest contributors to our happiness, other people. Uh, ties really well into brain tool number six, which kind of encapsulates all of what we're talking about. And it's this idea of like strengthening your positive emotion muscle, like the practicing feeling good. And so like overall happiness is both the ability of your brain to produce and release Positive emotion neurotransmitters, which is why some people, as we referenced, uh, experience depression. Their ability is disrupted chemically or psychologically or neurologically for whatever reason. And it's also the frequency with which you trigger these feel-good chemicals, which can be practiced. So practicing feeling good and positive can teach your brain to become better at doing it. And this is really leveraging, like we talked about before, the neuroplasticity 
to increase your baseline levels of happiness by in improving the connectivity in your brain associated with the positive emotions and with the triggering and release of these emotions. Um, you can use your mind to change your brain. So there's a really great study that I love, 2015 mm-hmm. study by Haller and Davidson from the Center of Investigating Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And they found that prolonged activation of a brain region called the ventral striatum, as we talked about, is directly linked with sustaining positive emotions and reward. Uh, and the study was looking about the, the ventral striatum as being in the locus of your control. So basically, you can practice activating this ventral striatum or you can practice feeling good. And as a result, you get better at doing it. You improve the connections in that area and therefore it happens more frequently and it becomes almost like this happiness cumulative snowball. And you notice this, right? There are people who actively seek to be happy. There's people you associate them with being having a good vibe. And no matter what, they always seem happy. That's probably because they have this really, really developed ventral striatum region or another region of the brain called the precuneus and the gray meadows even bigger in this area. And as a result, they're able to be happier more often because their muscle, their positive emotion muscle is so much stronger. Um, Really simple way to practice this, gratitude. Gratitude and have some fun. So those are both things that release positive emotions and that you can selectively choose to do. So the action is to create a feel-good gratitude practice, um, and I have some ideas that you can use. Write down your gratitude practice, or you can listen to music, smile and reflect to use your brain tool as part of your daily positive emotion practice, or you can just do something that makes you feel really positive, whether that's drawing, painting, something that lifts you up. And if you do it every day, if you do this every single day and you practice feeling good every single day, guess what? You're going to get better at it. And as a result, your baseline level of happiness improves because your, your brain's ability to be happy improves. Compound interest. Got to leverage Compound it. interest in the brain. Got to super, leverage. super strong. I think that's an amazing point though to wrap on this one because I think I think we still, and I'm coming from an opinion base, which I, is very rare for me to come from, but I think we still underappreciate neuroplasticity. I think we still really 100%. underappreciate that we have the ability to change our brain it is harder as you get older don't get me wrong it is it's difficult yes. it's not like it's an easy thing to do right compared to when we were younger but mm-hmm. the fact that you can hopefully gives people a little bit of hope that doing these things can compound across time but it's not going to happen overnight you're not going to just do a journal once and be like oh yeah i'm happy so yes. it's, it's that uh, repetitive habits um that will allow you to take care of this over time as well, yeah. I mean, so there's Daniel Omen who did this. Daniel Amen, sorry, who did this amazing TED talk, and he talks about neuroplasticity, where people who severed concussions and minor brain damage were able to reverse the impact of said brain damage through selective training and neuroplasticity. Like the power to change our brain is huge, and we underappreciate it. That's spot on. I love it. Well, those are those are the six brain tools. So, Sam, let's just uh, let's recap these brain tools before mm. we uh, we wrap up. Your brain tool number one. Brain tool number one, do a body budget. Uh, look at all the, all the inputs going to your body and buddy. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> wow, I lost my <laughs> lost my mouth there. Look slip. at all the inputs going into your body. Tally them up. See if you're at a deficit or a surplus. And if you're at a deficit, start doing some more of those things that are positive inputs. Brain tool number two. Brain tool number two is note your positive emotions. When you mm-hmm. feel emotion, try and trace it back to the activity that you were doing and reflect and examine what was driving that, particularly in terms of the pleasure and the purpose that that activity gave you. Brain tool number three. Super strong. Yes. Brain tool number three. What was it? 
me. Listening to music, yeah. uh, again, a thing that is more high in pleasure than it is in purpose, but actually trying to go back to those songs that are very familiar to you is based on the research is going to make you feel a lot more positive emotion, particularly in the pleasure category uh, as well. Mm, nice. And brain tool number four, the big fancy psychology word of behavioral activation therapy, which is just do more stuff, do more stuff, give your brain more experiences that nourish it and also remove or distract you from sitting there and ruminating uh, in your negative thoughts. Uh, and some of the stuff you can do is really positive too. I love it. Break to number five, volunteer for a cause that you care about. It shows heaps when you give back to your community, when you are generous in that behavior, it is going to activate that reward uh, sector. Uh, and that is what can definitely uh, improve your happiness. So pick a cause you care about. Mm, super strong. And brain tool number six, wrapping it all up, is strengthen your positive emotion muscles by practicing feeling good, by doing something that makes you feel good every single day. It's really simple, really easy to do, uh, whether that's a gratitude practice, whether that's listening to music or just doing something you love. I absolutely love it. And the, the one last point that I just want to make on all these brain tools is that we are obviously looking at how we can leverage and improve your positive emotions, but let's be 100% frank and real with each other right now. Mm -hmm. You can't be happy all the yeah. time, right? Uh, you yeah. can't. It's not going to happen. You're going to wake up on some days and just be like, I feel terrible. Why do I do this? Uh, when you've got a hangover, as an example, or even outside of that. So the highs are going to be contrasted uh, by the lows. Um, that's obviously the point of comparison, but it is in your best interest mm -hmm. unequivocally to understand how you can improve your happiness and leverage that. But that's why we're going to cover negative emotion next week because in the times that you aren't feeling great about yourself, in the times that you are, people are telling you be happy, be this, be that, how do you actually go about um, removing and dealing with that negative emotion, which is exactly what we're going to cover next week. Super strong, yeah. Uh, makes perfect sense. You, and you wouldn't really want to be a positive emotion all the time because it's in the contrast of your emotional experiences where you find that difference and that joy. 80-20 for this week. What do you got? I got this. Uh, producing happiness it involves des deciding, designing, and doing. Focus on those levers of pleasure and purpose that are in your control rather than the ones that wish you wish were in your own control. Ooh. 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 <laughs> Bang. Uh, I really like that. It's very philosophical. Very, very philosophical. <laughs> Shock me. Uh, and yours? Yeah, surprise, surprise. Mine is positive emotions come from positive inputs and positive perceptions. Feed your brain good stuff and look out for good stuff to feel happier more often. I absolutely Super simple. It. Let's wrap, wrap this up. up. Let's wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening to this week uh, on our episode on positive emotions. As always, if you want to find more of the studies, more of the information, luckily for you, we have really just started releasing our Brain Tools newsletter. So you can get a complete breakdown of this episode, even more research and even more brain tools. I have a couple other juicy ones that I'm going to reserve just for this newsletter. And you can find it at braintools.substack.com. Uh, and that'll be in the show notes. And if that's not your kind of thing, head over to our Instagram, Instagram at braintoolspodcast, follow us. And if you love this episode, please, please, please do us a massive favor. Help us get the word out about by posting a story uh, of your screenshot with much love. Uh, as Kieran said, next week's going to be about negative emotions, about taming the beast of negative emotions, so to speak, and also about you know some of the good side of negative emotions. Thank you for listening today. That's all I've got for you. So bye from me. Bye from me as well. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this tools cut of our Brain Tools podcast, where you got just the six practical brain tools you can use to hack your brain and level up today. 
If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe on any podcast channel you're on, iTunes, podcast, Spotify, and more. And if you really, really want to help us out, please leave us a review. It helps us so much to reach more people just like you. And finally, if you want to go a little bit deeper and dig into the research, see some free classes and guides, come and join our free community at braintools.mn.co. Can't wait to see you next week.